to the book of Luke, chapter 8. And then in a moment or in a bit, we'll jump over to Acts chapter 4. We have been in this series, His Mission. I've, I've truly enjoyed this series. It's been a challenge uh, to me, um, not simply in just the studying and preparing, but uh, in considering how God has given us a mission. But I want to be honest with you today, where we're, we're, we're talking about, we're talking about money this morning. And when you talk about money, that makes people nervous. And I'll be honest with you, when we talk about money as a pastor, it makes me nervous too. So we're on equal footing this morning. I, I, uh, um, I don't know, I, 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 what I've read and heard is that most pastors, and I would include myself in that list, don't like to talk about money. And because people say, think things like, you know what, money is personal, right? And it's between me and God. And I would say to both those things, that's true. Money is a personal thing. It affects our heart. It affects our lives. It's near and dear to us, which is why we need to talk about it. And you say, and some people say, well, money is between me and God. And again, I would agree. Yes, that's true. That's why God is so concerned about how we about our relationship with money, because he is concerned for our hearts and for our souls. And because it's between us and God, He wants us in His uh, in His gatherings to talk about money. So, so that's where we are today. The Old Testament talks about money. Jesus and the apostles talked about money. In fact, I read a statistic. I can't remember the exact numbers, but I'll just tell you the gist was this: there are more verses in the Gospels. Jesus talked more about money than he did about prayer. And if, if you think that's not true, then simply go and read through the Gospels and count the number of verses that deal with possessions and wealth and our relationship to them. Uh, the person that did, it was, it was something like 2,000 to, to 500 verses, something like that, if I, my memory serves me correctly. And the reason the Bible talks so much about wealth is because God's concern for our soul. He's concerned for the condition of our hearts he wants our he doesn't want our money god doesn't want to own our money rather he wants to make sure our money does not own us he wants to make sure the love of money and wealth and the love of this world does not own our hearts it's good to know even though you may not trust a church or a charity or a pastor, it's good to know you can trust God when it comes to what His Word says about wealth and money because He doesn't need any of our money. And His concern is only foremost, and I think we could say only for our souls. He wants our hearts to be free in order that like Him, we may desire to be generous and to give with joy. So just as a review, since this is the last series uh, in His Mission, the, the series is called His Mission, just as a review where we've been. Here's where we started. We've repeated this every week. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given a mission. A mission you are to live out in this world. The content of the mission, that is what we're supposed to share uh, with this world, is the good news that Jesus Christ forgives our sin and gives us new life. 
Uh, we'll see this morning that new life comes from new hearts and, and a new pers- person, if you will. But he, the message is, the content, this came from Acts 17, the content of the message is Jesus Christ forgives our sin. You see why you need boldness? <laughs> You're in a conversation and they want to know about Jesus and you say, well, you've got to start with this forgiveness of sins. And you, who knows what, what the response will be, but that's, that's the message. And He wants to give us new life. And then we learned that our thinking, I'm sorry, that was uh, Acts chapter 22. And we learned that our thinking, this was Acts 17, and the world's thinking are very far apart. So what we need is, is endurance. We, we can't give up on this mission. It's not going to be an instant success. It's not going to be like in Acts 2 when 3,000 people came to believe or Acts 4 when, when more came to believe and, and the total number rose to around 5,000 believers. It's going to be more like when Paul was in Athens and a few people believed and only two of them are named. So we need patience and we need love. Remember when Paul looked around and he saw the lostness of people, that the city was full of idols, and his heart was disturbed. Sometimes we look around today and we go, huh, this world stinks and get back to what we're doing. We need hearts that break for the lost and the lostness of our world. And then last week we saw our need for power, right? We need power because the whole world is against the message of Jesus. And we learned last week when we were in Acts 4 that, that it's not an exaggeration. God knew it was going to be, be that way. And the apostles found out it was that way. And in fact, after Peter and John were arrested, they went back and gathered with the church because they needed more power. And and I I threw this idea at you, that when they went back and gathered with the church, I believe that they were tempted to simply stay in the gathering. Why not? It was safe. Maybe that's, that's when they decided to have padded pews in church right then. And so one of the reasons that Peter led this prayer because he knew his own fear. He knew his own desire to stay in the comfortable circle. And so they prayed and asked God for boldness to speak the word. And if Peter and John and the church at that time needed boldness to speak the word, guess what you and I need? (laughs) Boldness to speak the word, to share this good news with others. And the Holy Spirit came down. Pow! That's not even a really good way to say power. Boom, I don't know what we'd see. But the Holy Spirit came down and they began to speak the Word of God boldly. And the mission was going forward. And the mission, at that point, we see also began to be funded by God's people. The mission of God depends upon the the generosity of God's people. Now, if you have your your outline open, I want to take you to... What do I do with mine here? It's in my pile. Here it is. I want to take you to Luke chapter 8 and just show you something. Because to our ears, it may sound a little weird that if God gives us a mission, why does it need human money? If it's a divine mission, why is human money necessary? And I want to point out to you this fact. This is number one. I hope you're following along your notes or filling in because I have some great stuff for you this morning. Without the generosity of others, Jesus' mission would have failed. What, what, what happened to the um, ink up here? Okay, there it is right there. I don't need them yet. I just want to, I just want to be prepared, Keith. Thank, thank you. Without the generosity of others, the mission of Jesus would have failed. Now, sometimes I'll ask this as a true or false. 
Did Jesus need money to succeed in what God sent him to earth to do? Yes, he did. (laughs) Jesus needed money. Remember, Jesus became fully human. If you pay attention to the gospel, it's it's a weird thing, but it's true. Jesus became needy. He did not come into the world as a fully functioning job or employed individual. He came into the world as a baby. If Mary had not nursed Jesus, would the mission have been successful or would it have failed? Failed. That one's easier, huh? (laughs) If Mary and Joseph had not raised Jesus and cared for him and loved him, provided a home for him and, and, and helped him understand and worship God, would the mission of God have succeeded or failed? Failed. And we see later on that Jesus' itinerant ministry, remember his ministry was to go around and preach the good news and heal folks, and he he led some uh, disciples and others were with him. We see that it depended upon the generosity of others. Look at Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. By the way, not only does the Gospel of Luke uh, help us uh, see a good relationship with money, but also uh, helps us see how women were significant, uh, were, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, necessary for the mission's success as well. Chapter uh, Luke 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from town, one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Think this through. Traveling takes money. (laughs) If they didn't have the money to travel, they would not have, Jesus' mission would not have succeeded. The mission of God has been given to human beings, right? You and I. And human beings need food. Shelter, clothing, travel expenses. And that's why the mission of God depends on the generosity of His people. God intended it that way. If people had not given to Jesus, He wouldn't have uh, had a boat to sail across the Sea of Galilee. If people had not given to Jesus' ministry, He would not have been able to feed all those who were with him wherever they they went. If people had not given to Jesus' ministry, he wouldn't have had an upper room to meet in. They wouldn't have been able to buy food for the Last Supper. There wouldn't have been a tomb for him to be resurrected from. The ministry of Jesus and the mission that Jesus has given us depends upon the generosity of his people. The problem with God's plan, are you ready? Is that human beings are not naturally generous. Amen? All right? All right. You, you may think, well, I'm pretty generous with my money. Here's one. Are you generous with the parking spot that just opened? Or do you jam there to get ahead of the person who could also almost beat you? Are you with me? I, I've told you this before in one of my things I try to correct in myself is when I'm ready to get in line at the grocery store, I push that cart so fast I may knock people out of the way. Because human beings, and I'm admitting I'm one of those, we're not naturally uh, generous. So, um, 
Well, let's read Acts 4. Now, turn your Bibles to, to Luke and Acts. And as you're going to Acts chapter 4, I'll tell you another interesting fact. If it weren't for a generous benefactor, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which were both written by Luke and were actually one book, one book, one book called Luke Acts. Okay. If not for a generous benefactor who paid for the, well, it wasn't paper, it was papyrus and the ink. Stuff was very expensive. Who paid Luke's travel expenses so he could go interview Mary and he could uh, travel around with, with Paul and others. Who paid for uh, the paper to be, or the, the books to be copied. You couldn't go down to, uh, I don't have Kinko's anymore. You couldn't just go to a photocopier and do this. You had to pay scribes to copy it. And then you had to pay couriers to deliver it. They didn't have a United States Postal Service. If not for a generous benefactor, we would not have the Gospel of Luke or the book of Acts. And actually, that person is named at the beginning of both books. In, in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, he's named. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Theophilus. He's the one that pays Luke or enables Luke to financially be able to write these books. But we're back to the problem of people are not naturally generous. So read with me this morning. We're in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 31 through 37. 31 is part of last week's message, and I just wanted to jump back there so we remember, we remember what happened. After they prayed, Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Gracious Almighty God, we humbly ask that you would add to the reading of your word our understanding of it so that we might live out what you command. In your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. We need to talk about what's not happening in this passage. This passage and its, its cousin or sister passage, which you find in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, which says they had all things in common, scares us. Are you with me? I don't know if you've ever studied this before or read it before, but we as Christians, oftentimes we get here and we go, well, that's just weird, that's just strange, I'm going to skip over it. Or we're afraid of what it might be telling us and what we might be misunderstanding about it. So I want to give you a list, and, and, and you can write this down. It will not appear overhead. Uh, I'll use my... I, I like this. Well, it's not... It's tiny, but I like it. I'll use this whiteboard this morning. I'll be as clear to you as I can. But this is what's not happening in Acts 42, I'm sorry, Acts um, 32 through 37, with holding all things in common. Are you ready? This is not communism. You ever heard someone say that before? Read this and see it's socialism or communism, and <clears throat> God wants us to. <clears throat> 
get rid of all our stuff. That's not what's happening here. In communism, there is no private ownership. Nobody owns anything. Of course, the state controls all the money. We won't get into that. Here you see in verse 32, in verse 34, in verse 37, there is ownership. They sold properties they owned. They decided that their possessions weren't just going to be for them, but they were going to share with others. So that's not communism. That's something different here. It's not advocating for some type of communal society where everybody throws their possessions in and we share. Okay? You with me? I like this list. If, if you decide that it's going too long, you, you tell me and, um, and we'll let you go with Lisa over there to the Kids Connection. All right? This is not economic equality. Thank you. I'll just say equal. This is not economic equality. That's a big buzzword in our society today where we think everybody should have equal amounts of everything. That's not what's happening here. It's very clear that the money was given not to raise people up economically, but to simply take care of their need. And those needs being food, shelter, and clothing. And if you read on, especially in Acts chapter 6, you'll see the main need was food. People did not have enough food to eat. And so within the Christian community, uh, funds were uh, being raised so that there could be food enough for everyone. You with me? Keep going? Okay. This is not... Uh oh that's a horrible three. This is not compelled. This is not compelled giving. My writing is not that bad. The, ba- the board's just bouncing around here. Nobody is being forced to give. What do I do with my eraser? There it is. <clears throat> no one is, is being told they have to do it. It's all voluntary. You hear this? But this is important stuff because when we read these, and you might want to keep these notes or hold on to them because you'll find yourself in a Bible study or reading through this just personally, and you're going, what is going on here? Is, is God wanting us to create a whole new economic system? That's not what is happening here. There's no force giving. People are choosing to give voluntarily. <clears throat> All right, where are we at here? Ooh, I should leave that not there. All right, I, I just went ahead and erased it all. This is not, I'm just going to say the not instead of right, and we're number four. This is not blind entrustment. Blind entrustment. In other words, just give to us. Don't ask questions. Your job is to give. Our job is to decide what happens to the money. Because it says here twice, they laid the money at the apostles' feet. That is a sign of a submission and a surrender, a belief that this money that I have is worth giving to or the mission is worth the money I'm giving and I am surrendering my funds to the mission of the apostles. But it's not blind giving because understand the Christians practically lived together. They didn't live together, but it was practical. They were meeting it. We're told in Acts two almost every day, in some cases every day. We know they met at least twice weekly. They knew what was going on in each other's lives. 
But they trusted the apostles so much that they laid it at their feet. Plus, they were with the apostles all the time. If one of the apostles took the money and bought himself a brand new chariot, they would have known. You follow? (laughs) So it's not blind entrustment. There is accountability built into the system. All right. I got two more. Should I keep going? All right. This is not relinquishing all possessions. This is not the relinquishment of all possessions. Sometimes people read this and think that God wants us all to be monks, to go into some type of monastic community where we relinquish all our worldly goods. Right? No more connections to this world. That sounds a little bit like Buddhism and also like Jedi Knightism, <laughs> uh, which is where uh, Lucas got his ideas. That is not what it's saying here. They, they aren't going into, in, uh, into poverty and selling. They're not selling their very homes. They're not selling the ones they live in. They're selling properties they no longer uh, need or were, they consider it a luxury or were they held for some other reason. It doesn't say here that we have to give up all our earthly goods and live in poverty, does it? Okay? I got one more. Can you handle it? Just one? I promise. This is a big one. There is no expectation, and this is a big word, of reciprocation. Reciprocation. All right. No expectation of reciprocation. In other words, they didn't give expecting anything in return from those they were giving to or those they were giving for. We are not good at this, by the way. If you have someone over to your house for a barbecue, you're going, well, when are they going to invite me over to their house for a barbecue? Am I right? <laughs> or we did this for them. How come they forgot? That? I remember her birthday. How come she forgot my birthday? A lot of our gifts are gifts that have attached to them some expectation of reciprocation. And, and sometimes even our gifts to charity. Well, I'll give to this charity, but I expect uh, the people that receive my funds to, to change their lives or do something different because I'm giving. That's not expected here. They didn't expect uh, those who were poor to necessarily change their poorness, if you will. They didn't even expect God to bless them financially because they were blessing a mission of God financially. Are you holding on to that? There was no expectation of reciprocation. Okay, that's the end of my list of what's not happening here. So we now have to ask the question, if this isn't happening, if they're not being forced to give, if they're not giving because they think God's going to do something for them, if they're not giving up all their earthly possessions in order to be be rid of or disconnect from the earth, then for what possible reason could they have decided to be so generous? In other words, this is point three. What is happening here? And here is the simple answer. Human heart transformation. Human heart transformation. Now, before we go, oh yeah, of course, human heart transformation. Um, We need to realize something. That that's impossible. <laughs> you cannot change the human heart. Every religion in the world claims to be able to do this. 
They have their methods to change the human heart. But look throughout our world today at all the religions and even all the isms that are out there to change people and nothing's working. People still don't like each other in our world. Judaism says God can change the human heart through obedience to the law, but it doesn't happen. Islam says it's through obeying the will of Allah, but it doesn't happen. Buddhism says it's through giving up all that you possess, but it doesn't happen. Hinduism says, well, it's by meditating, but it doesn't happen. Only in Christianity do we find stories like this. Where something has happened from the outside in, not by what we do, not by our own act of will or trying to be morally good people, but something from the outside in has so transformed the human heart that those people now love God more than their possessions. Love other people more than their possessions, more than their plans, more than their financial security. Folks, that's just humanly impossible. And I think it's not exaggerating to say it is mind blowing. That the filling of the Holy Spirit not only brings a boldness to share Jesus with others, it brings a total transformation of a human heart to love God, to love others. And the results are an unimaginable community life that's happening. Oh, that we would seek this same renewal in prayer. I don't know about you, but it scares me a bit. There are certain things that I go, well, God, I'll give you this and I'll give you that, but this this I'd kind of like to hold on to. (laughs) Was it Martin Luther that once said there are three conversions in the Christian life? First comes the conversion of the head, I believe. Second, the conversion uh, of the heart, I, I love. And third comes the conversion of the pocketbook or of the wallet. It's a tough one, isn't it? How did this happen? How can it happen today? It is a work of God in us. And it's already begun. We've already received the Holy Spirit when we put our trust in Jesus Christ and we're baptized. But sometimes, just like Peter and John, we need to pray for more power and more help. Oh, that we would seek this renewal. Because this renewal and this transformation helps us to fund the mission. The mission is funded through the Spirit-empowered generosity of God's people. That's the point for today. The mission is funded through the Spirit-empowered generosity of God's people. When we're praying, as we're, we're praying in our prayer groups or small groups, as you're praying on your own, will you pray that God's Spirit would fall on us? Not only give us boldness, but transform our hearts so that we love God, we love others more than our own financial security, more than even ourselves. I don't know what that will end up looking like, but it sounds like something worthy to pursue. So this morning I want to to take us to one practical matter for us at Hilltop Church, and that's point four. For the sake of the mission, we must be generous to Christ's Church. For the sake of the mission, we must be generous to Christ's church. If you're not a member or a tender of Hilltop Church this morning, um, you, don't, you can check out. You don't have to worry about what I'm saying. But for the rest of us, if you're a part of this church and you love this church and you believe in the mission that God has given us to help our neighbors find and follow Jesus Christ, 
I would humbly and even boldly ask that you would support the mission of our church financially by giving a biblical tithe. By practicing the, uh, the financial or biblical practice of tithing. That is, giving 10% of what God has given to you. Now, it's not that God wants 10% of your money. Listen, God wants 100% of our hearts. He wants 100% of our money. All the decisions that we make with our pocketbook, our checkbook, or uh, however you do it, your Visa card, God wants to be involved in it all and oversee it all. But when it comes to the church, what we have in the Bible is a guide of a tithe, a 10% of what He has given to us. We call that first fruits. That's what the church asks in order to help us fund the mission. If you tithe, I encourage you this morning to simply be renewed in that commitment. Renew that commitment to continue on in your tithing. If you do not tithe, I want to ask you, maybe challenge you this morning, would you begin tithing? Would you begin somewhere in the percentage category? You say, I can't do 10%. All right. If you're not sure you can do 10%, start somewhere. Start at 5%. Start at 2% and work your way up as you are able, as you learn the discipline and the practice of tithing. Because that's the way that God has chosen that at least His church, the church of Jesus Christ, would be funded to do the mission He's given us to do. This is an act of the heart, which means it's not easy. (laughs) Listen, tithing is not an easy thing. It takes... Commitment. It takes discipline. It does. I don't want you to think, uh, think that I'm saying, hey, just start tithing. It means you have to take a serious look at your finances. I want to be completely honest with you. When you tithe to Christ's church, you get no financial blessing in return. 26%, this is a survey just released a month ago, I believe. of Christians believe that when they give financially to God's kingdom, God will bless them financially. Did you know that? Now, actually, it's good that it's only 25% because the other 74 didn't believe that, which is a good thing. But still, or 26, 26% do believe that. So I want to be clear this morning. That when we give to the kingdom of God, God doesn't say, oh, good, you gave to me and I'm going to give back to you financially or I'm going to take care of this thing in your life or I'm going to bless this. It is not an issue of reciprocation. It's simply an act of a change, a transformed heart acting in obedience. Notice that even though the heart is transformed, it still has to choose to obey. Tithing is an act of the transformed heart acting in obedience to help fund the mission that the local church is trying to do, be faithful to, for the kingdom of God. I do want to say this. There is a benefit to tithing, and that is simply it begins you along the road of financial management. Because now you have to look at all that you make and you have to figure out your percentages and you have to at least start down the road of looking at my finances and what I can do, I'm able to do, and learning the art of financial discipline. So there is a benefit there. But under no circumstances should we expect or think God will... uh, It's a quid pro quo relationship, right? I rub your back, you rub my back. It's simply out of an obedient heart that has been transformed by the power of God. Can you agree with me in that and say, Amen? 
So here's how I'd like to close in prayer this morning. As the uh, worship team comes forward, I'm going to move this out of the way so we can see. Uh, would you stand with me? I'm going to pray and then, then we'll sing. But I'm just going to pray for a renewal of our generosity. I hope that through this series, you have become convinced not only that you have a mission, but that we all have a mission. And this mission is important. And we need to get on it and keep pushing for it. And now we learn that the mission requires money. That's the way God designed it. It requires the generosity of His people. So I'm going to pray that, that God would uh, encourage us to keep praying for renewal and that He would renew our hearts. And I hope, too, you will pray that uh, that we would be generous towards Hilltop Church so that we can fund the mission God has given to us and make that part of your, your daily or weekly prayers as well. Gracious, almighty God in heaven, we thank you, dear God, even though it does not seem wise to us, but you are much wiser and you know what you are doing. We thank you that you entrusted this mission to your people. And now we understand a little bit more why, especially after the last two weeks. It's not that you simply entrusted this mission to us and just said, go do it. But you have given us your Holy Spirit who through faith in Jesus Christ resides in us today to transform our lives, to enable us to love you with, our, with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Those commands are not possible to obey without the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, without you filling us first with divine love so that we can love you and we can love others. And part of our love for others, dear God, includes the loving of those who are lost in this world, the loving of souls, and therefore loving your mission to go to share the good news of forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ. And Lord, you've given us this church, Hilltop Church. We thank you for it. And I want to pray now that you would renew our, our hearts of generosity to surrender all of our finances to you and to your will. Lord, that we would even ask questions like, should I spend this or, or buy this thing or do that? What would Jesus do? Or is it wise? And allow all of our, our accounts, our savings accounts, retirement accounts, uh, checking accounts to be under your lordship. And Father, when it comes to your church, I pray that you would renew in us a commitment and understanding of the biblical practice of tithing. That we would give to your church 10%. And help us, Lord, as the membership here to use this money wisely. Uh, that you would help it to go uh, far and, and further than we could ever hope or imagine. To enable us to help our neighbors to find and follow Jesus Christ. These things we pray. Lord, bring a revival of generosity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.